The Financial Survival Network, helping you survive and thrive in the new economy. Go to carrylutz.com and sign up for 30 free micro-trainings on financial survival. 1490 WGCH, this is Kerry Lutz. You're listening to the Financial Survival Network. With me now is a new guest who really can help you get your plan straight for 2012. Trace Mayer, he's a JD, like yours truly, author of The Great Credit Contraction, and he has a wonderful website I've been viewing for years called runtogold.com. Trace, welcome to the Financial Survival Network. Great to have you on. Oh, great to be here, Kerry. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, well, we wanted to get your perspective since uh, this is the end of the year and probably going to be my last show of 2011. What do you think the new year holds for our listeners, for your viewers and my viewers? Well... The world is in commotion, uh, isn't it? But, you know, trade and uh, people's lives are going forward. Uh, And, you know, that's kind of what I think we're going to see. We're going to see people continuing to take a little bit more active approach to their uh, assets and to the way that their life is designed and styled. And we're going to be moving further into the information age, which is really uh, kind of allowing people to do what they want to with their lives as long as they've uh, positioned themselves uh, correctly. Right. And so you see technology then as somewhat of a liberating force. Obviously, the way the government uses it, it's uh, it can be very destructive and limiting. But you think that uh, the trend with technology is to increase people's freedom and allow them uh, more fulfilling lives then, right? Well, that's, that's the role that technology has always played uh, through humanity. You know, it started with humans. We, we would go out and we would fish and we'd catch a fish a day. Uh, but we had to save up uh, fish so that we could create nets. And with the technology of nets, you know, then we're able to catch 10 fish in a day. And, and that freed up our time and our attention to be able to be dedicated towards other tasks. And so this division of labor uh, that humanity's gone through over the millennia, now we're at, we're at this kind of, you know, financial markets are cyclical, but our, our, our uh, fundamental human progress is cumulative. And so we're just we're just entering this glorious information age uh, that is going to you know this transition into it's going to happen only in forty years maybe, whereas it took humanity five hundred years to transition from the agricultural age into the industrial age, and with the industrial age we saw a tremendous increase in freedom and in liberty and in free time because of this excess product this excess productivity and efficiency that the technologies allowed for and so i think that uh if people have uh positioned themselves correctly then they will be able to reap some of the benefits of that on the other hand uh those people who haven't properly diversified their jurisdictional risk for example might find that somebody else is designing their lifestyle for them, uh, most likely a, a government of some type. And that'll be unfortunate for those people. Well, it's interesting that you make the point that there are different cycles 
in humanity, I guess. And the cycle of progress of technology isn't necessarily aligned with the financial cycles. And I guess when you have this kind of disconnect and you have, I think uh, you could argue there's a new financial order that's going to assert itself in the coming years ahead, probably sooner rather than later, because the fiat mode of governmental direction and definition of money and control monopoly over money looks like it's starting to break up and gold and silver really are the major beneficiaries of that trend, aren't they? <laughs> aren't they? You know, run to gold.com. It's not like I didn't see this coming. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, what we've used as currency has changed immensely. You know, 500 years ago when the industrial age started, you know, we were having silver or gold. It was an actual physical commodity in your hand. You traded it for a loaf of bread. Uh, now we use these little colored coupons that are fiat currency. In you know, that's a, if we even have a physical version of them. A lot of them are just digital uh, bits and bytes in some database somewhere. And so the way that the money and currency have changed uh, over these hundreds of years and the way that we've uh, allowed for the great credit expansion uh, through, you know, debt instruments and sovereign debt and collateralized debt obligations and auction rate securities and mortgage backed securities and commercial mortgage backed securities and derivatives, you know, the massive mountains of derivatives that we have, all of this has kind of taken us further and further away from what is real and what's in our hand and what uh, and, and the true wealth that exists. And so we live in what I like to call this derivative illusion. We don't really uh, know, nor can we even really value uh, in, uh, things correctly because of the distortions that government-issued money has created in the markets with right. things like yen and euros and Federal Reserve notes. And I think that the the advances in technology are going to uh, continue to have an impact on that market, that currency market. Just like just like we, uh, you know, records and MP3s and uh, VHS and DVDs are, have, had, have been uh, completely transformed by the Internet and BitTorrents and uh, blogs and newspapers. And so this creative destruction is going to further uh, humanity's search for freedom and liberty and excess productivity. And I think it's a very exciting time to be in, but it's also a very volatile time because it's you, we, we can't necessarily uh, see five years ahead. You know, five years ago, Facebook was nothing. And now it's um, about a hundred billion dollar company. And Twitter so as well. <laughs> Don't forget you know, Twitter. Yeah, and you've got Twitter and Google and Apple. Uh, these things are, you know, the the rate of change uh, is happening faster and faster. And that's an exciting thing Yeah, if you're willing to adapt to it like a creative entrepreneur would. Yeah, if you're, if you're not a union member, it's a great thing. If you're a member of a union and they, you think that they're going to protect you and the whole uh, – thing that you're going to be taken care of and your pension and you're a government employee, these are kind of scary times because it looks to me like the government, all the programs that we have 
are from a whole different era. They're obsolete. They're really, they're doing a lot more harm than any good they could possibly uh, achieve. And we're going to see this massive uh, collapse. And we're going to see a, in the coming years, and I think 2012 is really going to be a crucial uh, fork in the road uh, of governmental expectations where you do have half the pub population expecting the government to take care of them and the other half trying to figure out how to avoid having the government steal all their wealth and eventually it's going to become untenable and it's going to stop and people i don't think are prepared for that and they don't really get that it's coming uh, what are your thoughts on that I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, and it's not just the union worker, but it's also the elites that might own these uh, legacy enterprises. You know, anybody want to buy a Tower Records, <laughs> or, or how about a newspaper? Yeah. And yet, those used to be extremely valuable assets. This uh, change in wealth and who has the wealth—it's uh, affecting, you know, the elite and the union worker and the uh, peasant in. China or Africa. Yeah, and there's no way to turn back time either. Once the <coughs> genie, once the genie is out of the bottle, it's out, and you can't put them back in. Yeah, I mean, we're you know they the elite they didn't like the Gutenberg press, but it doesn't matter, you know. And the elite they don't really like the internet because they can't control the message. Uh, Bill Clinton said, you know, we need to go back to having three channels on TV. Uh, <laughs> The genie's not going back in the bottle, you know, and and uh, it's really not going back in the bottle when you have a 40% unemployment rate for people under 30 in Spain. Yeah. And and these institutions are failing the rising uh, generations and, uh, you know, people going to school, getting a lot of student debt and then not having a job. Well, uh, the established order of things is uh, not securing them the future. And so they're, uh, they're looking for alternatives, and they're going to be looking for alternative ideas politically. And so this financial crisis, you know, it's going to go from economic to financial to political to geopolitical uh, crises. And hopefully, you know, we don't have some type of a war. Uh, I was speaking a couple years ago in Arizona, and, you know, I said war was on the horizon because that's one of the ways to reduce the unemployment rate. Uh, and now that we have people, you know, occupying Wall Street and things like that, I, I don't know if they understand uh, how the elite view them. And, the, you know, now that they're disrupting and causing trouble, well, in other previous credit contractions, what the elite would do uh, is they would send them off to some foxhole in Europe, you know, and they would die. And that would reduce the unemployment rate. And uh, and they wouldn't be causing trouble at home. And so hopefully uh, we don't have a war on the horizon. Uh, but, you know, given the, the lunacy that comes out of some of our capitals throughout the world, I wouldn't be surprised if that's uh, what's simmering over there in the Middle East right now. Yeah, well, you know, part of, uh, part of the problem with the whole war mentality, the welfare warfare state, is that history is so distorted, it teaches that... World War II ended the Great Depression. And the reality is that the Great Depression ended after World War II when a whole bunch of the things that that really stopped economic expansion froze it dead in its tracks were repealed, those New Deal policies. 
and I'm afraid it's probably not going to happen here either until those policies are swept away. But let's go back to education because we both have advanced degrees, both been to law school. Somebody comes to you now and they're and they say they're going to college and they're really thinking about going to law school. What would you tell them? Uh, well, I, I'd ask them to kind of think about why they would want to go there and how they think they're going to finance it. Uh, I, you know, I was fortunate. I was offered full tuition uh, and uh, scholarship, and I had been flown down to interview in San Diego. And I was like, you know what? I can spend three years in a sunny paradise <laughs> while somebody else is paying for my school. Uh, but the average attorney graduates with $106,000 of debt. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that I met in law school, they, they went in with, you know, some type of, uh, ideal that they wanted to carry out, you know, maybe they wanted to work for some, say the owl or, uh, some <laughs> other, you know, some other injustice, you know, you know how, you know how a lot of, a lot of us are. And, uh, then they get this brutal reality of they got $106,000 student loan debt and they can work as a public defender for 25000 a year or something. And so I, I think that higher education and, and, the, and the whole system, the, this whole educational industrial complex that's out there, I don't know if it's necessarily preparing people with the skills and the abilities that are being demanded by the market. And, you know, that's not to say that, like, going and learning a profession, it wouldn't be very rewarding uh, personally in some way. And, you know, you can derive value other ways than monetarily. Uh, but, you know, I'm an entrepreneur first. Uh, and so I have a little bit more of a luxury in how I can spend some of my free time. And so for me, you know, I, I like the intellectual pursuit. I like the uh, I liked law school from from that aspect, but I didn't. I never went there intending to practice law, and I don't practice now. Uh, right. Because I, you know, I have other things to do, and so you know, people have to look and uh, try to figure out what their own motivations are, what's going to provide value for them. But the last thing I would want somebody to do is uh, not having done that. And then going and digging themselves a gigantic hole of $106,000 that they're going to be carrying around for the rest of their life because it can't be discharged in bankruptcy. Because at the end of the day, they're just going to be a slave. Yep, they're going to be a debt slave. slave. And, you know, that's not, that's not a way to live your life, at least not a way for me to live my life. You know, some people might be happy being a slave, but uh, not me. Yeah, well, it's it's a slave with all of the burdens of servitude and none of the benefits. You know, at least when people were enslaved by another, they were going to be fed and probably taken care of because they were an investment and you didn't want to destroy your investment. Not that I'm advocating a return to those days. I just think the definition of slavery has evolved and we're now these debt slaves and it's funny i was listening to you say you went to you're an entrepreneur first you went to law school to help you in that pursuit and you know i'm like an echo chamber because i always said exactly the same thing the times in my career that i was the most unhappy was when i was actually practicing law and i always said if i was any good at law i wouldn't still be practicing 
And <laughs> finally, you know, I'm doing what I love to do. And, you know, this is a failing of our educational system because it's based on that Prussian model of, uh, you know, regimentation and discipline and, you know, crack the whip. And the fact is, there's nothing in any school I've ever seen that teaches young minds that guides them to find their love, to find their passion, and to pursue it against all uh, obstacles. And that's why I would say if somebody really loves the law, if they were born to practice, you know, they've been reading law books since uh, since they were toilet trained, you know, and there are those people out there, right? Then, hey, go do law school. You need to be a lawyer. But if you think that it's going to just lead you to higher income or, you know, you'll get to be Perry Mason or whatever the nonsense is, then you really need to think twice. And that's the problem with the whole system is it doesn't really show people that, hey, if you have something you want to do and you want to develop an expertise, it will support you if you love it. And, uh, you know, I've only learned that, you know, in the last however many years but it's so important to identify that, to identify the passion, because if you've got a passion, and I've seen this, uh, you know, in people who I know and people who I've worked with, uh, where they, especially in our area, Trace, you know, I find this like so many people are passionate about what they're doing. They wouldn't be doing anything else in the world. This is everything to them, whether it's analyzing gold stocks or economic analysis, following the crash, whatever it is, We've got like a whole bunch of passionate, driven people who found their calling. And that's that to me is what it's all about. And obviously you've done the same because you're doing what you're doing now, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd echo that. You know, we're at a new year. Uh, figure out how you want to design your life because, you know, life is too short and time is the fire in which we burn, you know, and don't spend it like, working 14 hours a day reading contracts or something. And that's not to say that I haven't used my law degree uh, and I haven't used it in a way that I'm very passionate about. For example, I had a friend who uh, ran a very high profile, high traffic website. Millions of people a month went to it in the mortgage industry and he highlighted mortgage frauds. And one of these people that had perpetrated a massive fraud uh, sued him and he didn't really have the money to defend himself. So me and a couple of my friends who were also attorneys, uh, we took him on pro bono and we took his case to this, the New Hampshire Supreme Court and we won and we protected his freedom of speech. And I'm very passionate about the freedom of speech and I'm very passionate about our ability to argue with ideas. And so uh, it was you know, very gratifying that uh, I was able to do that. But you know, I think it gets back to that, that people, you, you've got to find what your passion is, whether, you know, I'm also a pilot. I, you know, I, I just, I, if, if I were to choose a job, you know, it would probably be that. I mean, I create jobs. I don't really want one. Sure. Uh, but if I were to have one, that's what it would probably be because I just absolutely love it. And uh, so people, you know, you, they got to find their, their passion and, and it really doesn't matter what age you're at. You know, I, I suppose the worst thing to do would be to end up like 65 or 70 and retiring, uh, having worked an entire life in something that you're not passionate about, yeah. you know, and then trying to figure out what you were supposed to have done uh, with your life. And so, uh, you know, for me, life is just too short. Like, um, I, you know, so I just 
I, I like to do epic things and I like to, you know, I, I want to make my dent on the universe and I don't, you know, I don't really take no for an answer. And, and I like to think that I'm helping a lot of people in the process. Yeah. It's, it's so important and it really makes a difference in the quality of your life. And Trace, uh, just to tell us uh, if somebody's looking to figure out how to put together a plan in the current financial environment, where do they find you? Uh, RunToGold.com is uh, my blog where I write, and there's plenty of stuff to read on there. I do answer like questions if people send me email questions, and sometimes those turn into articles. And also, I have a website about privacy, and that website's called HowToVanish.com, and uh, I think that's going to become increasingly important for people who want to design their lifestyle because you know, we're moving into this era where uh, it is much more of a form of public slavery instead of private slavery. And uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <clears throat> totally, totally agree with you on that one. And uh, if anyone wants to, uh, to find out more about Trace, I've got a link to uh, his site on com slash resources. And if you want to listen to any more of our segments, our shows, just go to kerrylutz.com. And Trace, thanks for being with us. Wish you the best for the coming year. I think we've put out some valuable information that will hopefully help some people uh, start getting headed in the right direction. Yeah, thanks, Gary. It is kind of a big picture uh, general stuff, but, you know, that's important. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon, Trace.